Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about non-legally binding Christmas paperwork so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read The Mistletoe Promise by Richard Paul Evans. Joining us to discuss this festive Christmas romance is Caitlin, a dedicated sweater enthusiast. Hello. Hello, Caitlin. <laughs> Welcome back. You guys are cruel, cruel beasts. <laughs> Longtime listeners may remember Caitlin from the Christmas sweater, which we read last year, which was previously, previous to Dianetics, the worst book we ever read. You know what? I'm honestly still on the fence about... <laughs> I kind of still think Christmas Sweater was worse than Dianetics. I feel like they were different in bad in different ways. And it's not necessarily easy to compare them. And I feel like the length of Dianetics is what really tipped Dianetics over for me. Is that at least Christmas Sweater, as soul-crushing as it was, was only like 200, you know, fancy ruffled edge pages. While Dianetics was like 500 Bible-sized pages. Okay, but like last week, I was describing the Christmas sweater to a coworker, and I legit teared up with like rage. I've never <laughs> had that physical response to Dianetics. So I think one is a brain rage, one's a heart rage. <laughs> we already talked about that. You can go back through our archives and find it if you missed it. We're not going to talk about that anymore because it's too depressing. We're going to talk about The Mistletoe Promise by Richard Paul Evans. But anyway, that's why Caitlin gets a do-over, because the Christmas sweater is so depressing. We just... (laughs) At least this... I mean, we'll talk about this. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm not gonna, like, have any frustration tears about this situation. Yeah, right up front, I actually really liked this book. It plays into... So one of my, like, favorite tropes to read about is pretend dating. Like, I don't know why I like it so much, but I do. And my my big, the big problem for me is that I also hate stories where the two characters miscommunicate on some important point and it causes them a lot of angst and frustration. And I feel like this book had the perfect amount of miscommunication. If it had gone on for even like two more pages, I would have been angry about it. But it was the perfect length and it was fake dating and I liked it too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's let's describe what it was that we liked. Um, so okay. this book is about uh, a lady named Elise who works. There's a lot of like weirdly very specific details in this. So she works for a company that arranges field trips for schools. But all she ever does is office work. She never gets to go on any of the trips. Which, sidebar, I used to work, when I first moved to Boston, I worked for a company like that. So it was very weird to see, because it was not something I had ever thought about before. So to pick up this book and read about it as someone's job, I was like, that's very strange. But it it, it is actually also pretty accurate to what my experience was. <laughs> so she does this. The office is in the same building as a law firm. And everybody who works in this building goes to, like, the same food court to eat. And basically every day she goes there and eats by herself. And this is a fucking weird detail that I'm obsessed with. Every day she eats a sweet pork salad, which I immediately Googled. Because I was like, I know I don't eat meat, but what the fuck is a sweet pork salad? It turns out that the restaurant she eats at is called Cafe Rio. And I just assumed that was, like, a made-up restaurant name for this book. 
Um, but it is actually apparently a real chain that's kind of like Chipotle, but they only have it in the West Coast. And then I don't know why you'd eat there and not just eat like real tacos, but whatever. Cafe Rio exists. You can get a sweet pork salad there. And this lady does it every goddamn day. <laughs> and one day while she's eating her sweet pork salad, this handsome man who she had previously kind of noticed and been checking out, he comes up to her and he's like, hey, I see you're here alone. Do you? And she's like, I have friends. I totally have friends. What? And he's like, I didn't see you didn't, but I printed these jokes off the internet. Can I read them to you? <laughs> She's like, like, yeah, great. He reads her his fucking internet <laughs> jokes. She likes them. Does he even read them? I think he just hands them to her and says, read these funny things. Actually, maybe you're right. Maybe he does that. <laughs> um, they do not have texting, I guess. they No, they do. That's actually a plot point. So, I, so it's goddamn inexplicable why he printed his internet jokes out. <laughs> but he did. And she liked it. So, okay. So he, he says to her, like, so I noticed that you're alone a lot, and I'm alone a lot, and I hate spending the holidays alone, so I have a proposition for you if you also hate spending the holidays alone. And she was like, no, I love spending the holidays alone. I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, oh, okay, bye. And she immediately is like, no, I was lying. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> so he does, and he explains to her that... He is really sick of going to all of these, like, mandatory fun things for his. That's what I call it, is when your office forces you to go after hours to spend time with your coworkers. So he has all this mandatory fun for work around the holidays. And he's sick of going by himself and having to deal with all of his coworkers and all of his friends trying to get him to date more and, like, looking at him pathetically because he doesn't have a girlfriend. And if she is also sick of people annoying her about being single around the holidays, they could pretend to be a couple from now, which is November 1st, until Christmas Eve, and have someone to bring to all of this mandatory fun and all of these outings and all of these holiday dinners. And she's initially skeptical, but he tells her to spend some time thinking about it. So she goes back up to her office and her young, pretty effortlessly beautiful never on a diet but super skinny like blah 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 the kind of girl that girls hate named zoe a co-worker makes some comment and she's like okay i'm gonna fucking do this like yes i'm yeah. in basically to spite zoe she agrees to fake date um the lawyer whose name is nicholas like saint nicholas like christmas <laughs> you guys <laughs> Also, but his name is Nicholas and her name is Elise. And in case, like, I guess he assumed that everyone would get the Nicholas thing. But there is a forward note saying Elise is a derivation of Elisheva. I, I don't, sorry. A Hebrew name meaning God's promise. So they both have very significant names. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> um, so the next day down at lunch... He comes over to sit with her again, and she tells him that she's in, and he promises to draw up paperwork because he's a lawyer, and that's what he does. So he comes back again the next day with this contract that he's made that stipulates what this relationship, quote-unquote, is and isn't, and how it's strictly platonic. There's no sex or romance involved. They will agree to do things together for a month, for two months. She will agree to accept gifts from him every day for two months and that he will pay for all of her travel expenses and all of her dining out and everything. And she will 
in in exchange for her company at these events. Right. And this this part reminded me very much of Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, you know, they're doing the contracts and he's like, I have money. I want to buy you stuff. And at first she's like, I don't feel comfortable with that. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, but I have so much money and it makes me happy. Just let me do it. And she's like, <laughs> okay, sounds good. Which I feel like is very realistic. Yes. <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, good. <laughs> Because I feel like in Fifty Shades, she's always, like, protesting a little too much. Like, no, I don't really want this expensive gift. I don't want it. I hate it. And she's just like, yeah, I'll take it. Thank you. I mean, I'm a lesbian, but if, like, some rich dude was like, if you hang out with me, I'll buy you presents every day, I'd be like, sure. Okay. I like presents. We'll do this. I would Uh, run away. (laughs) Okay, whatever. I'd be like, you are crazy. I'm going to go sit over here and eat my warm salad. My sweet pork salad. Um, oh, also the title. So he comes to her and he's titled it The Mistletoe Contract. And she's like, why mistletoe? And he's like, well, because, you know, when you stand under the mistletoe, you kind of have to kiss people even if you don't really like it. And it's just like this performative thing, just like what we're doing. And she's like, okay, but calling it a contract is too, like, lawyery. Let's call it a promise. And he's like, okay. So he, like, crosses out contract rights promise. Then we get the title of the book, y'all. Got it squared away. So um, she, the next day, she goes to work, and there is a giant bouquet of flowers waiting at the front desk. And Zoe, her too beautiful, too perfect, too pretty young co-worker, is immediately like, oh, which one of the six boys I'm dating right now sent me these flowers? And they're shocked that plain, frumpy Elise is the recipient of the flowers. Uh, and she is feeling really good about this and showing off to all her co-workers who think she's pathetic. Uh, so she meets him for lunch again, and he buys has bought her the sweet pork salad that she likes because he knows that it's all she eats every day. And uh, they I eventually think he, they bu- just... he buys one for himself too. Like he's dipping his toe into her world and trying the sweet pork salad. Yes. By the way, if you think we are in any way overestimating how many times <laughs> the words "sweet pork salad" are in this book, <laughs> we are not. We're this being very book, conservative. Like. <laughs> Super describes every piece of food that they eat and everywhere. It's super detailed about the restaurants they go to, which are all real restaurants as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. The food, the things that they order, like what, they, what they're what they like, how they feel about them. And I was into it. Yeah. It kind <laughs> of like this book could double as like a restaurant travel guide or something. I was hungry when I was reading it. I was like, yeah. I wasn't I for the for sweet pork salad, but for some other stuff they ate. <laughs> Hell yeah. I would be into that because I eat something similar at some, I don't know, some freaking chain restaurant that I used to go to for lunch on the regular when I worked somewhere where there were places to go to lunch. I used to get a salad with pork on it and it was very good. So I, I was into that too. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, from like their first date that they have not in the food court... They just sort of casually mention that Nicholas never takes alcohol and like Elise will have a drink and it's like whatever. But so I knew that they were setting something up because this book is so short. And even like I knew if they're going out of their way to mention he doesn't drink. Oh, he's probably an alcoholic. That's probably going to come up. That's not quite it, but we'll get Mm -hmm. to it. So they do this for a few days. She goes out with him to... Uh, play and they go out to dinner a couple times and she agrees to go with him to his co-workers for Thanksgiving because that's where he always goes and she usually goes to her ex-husband's parents house 
And you've gotten kind of a few hints at this point that her ex-husband is an asshole and did not treat her well and divorced her. And that was kind of when she started to downslide into not caring about her makeup or her hair or her clothes and falling into a funk. So instead this year, she goes with him to his co-worker's house and has a great time and they bake pies together beforehand and it's a lot of fun. And his co-worker and the co-worker's wife are both like, oh my God, like he's so happy with you. He loves you so much. And it makes her uncomfortable because it's supposed to be a platonic fake relationship. By the way, I forgot to... So one of their things is like in the in the promise contract is they'll never ask each other personal questions. And like literally on their first date, Dan, uh, Nicholas is like, what's your childhood like? And she's like, well, it was awful. Like my dad was kind of abusive and like this was all terrible, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, okay. And she's like, what about you? And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. And then she didn't she didn't talk to him yet about the ex-husband. But, no. Because then they were like, oh, now it's too personal. And we said not personal. But she like immediately is like, here's some paragraphs of tragic backstory. Yes, instead of being like, oh, it was, you know, up and down, you know how it goes. How was yours? She's like, well, I grew up in Arizona and then we moved here because my dad was a crazy conspiracy theorist and he wanted to live on a road that had only one way into town so he could blow it up when the Russians came and he hit me and he chased me with snakes and... (laughs) Yeah, for those of you guys who watched watched the show (laughs) Justified, my note on that is, oh... (laughs) Elise grew up inside an episode of Justified, uh, which she did, basically. (laughs) So um, we have all that backstory about her. And then I think at this point, we also get some backstory about why, what happened when her ex-husband left her, which is that her appendix burst and she was in the ICU and... He came to visit her after not coming to visit her for a couple days and left her beautiful flowers and also left his cell phone behind. And when the nurse, she was like, uh, Elise was like, oh, give me his phone. I'll text his office so that they'll know to come and pick it up. And the nurse picks it up and it's like, oh, it's so sweet that he calls you me and more. Yeah. And she's like, uh, he doesn't. And when she looks at the phone, there's a whole bunch of messages between him and Mia Amore about how he's cheating on her and like, oh, I'm going to visit Elise in the hospital and I'm not going to tell her about our relationship until she's out of the hospital and I love you and I can't wait to have more sex with you. So she is uh, predictably broken up about this, being that she's in the ICU with 102 degree fever after having had major surgery. Yep. Uh, so Dan comes back to get her ex-husband comes back to get his cell phone and she at confronts the time him. was her husband just her yes. shitty husband and she confronts him about it and he tries to like get high and mighty and the nurse like fucking has her back and is like get out of here this is my patient this is my house you can't be here you asshole it was actually pretty great <laughs> yeah, i like that nurse all two pages of that nurse yes <laughs> and then while she's still in the icu he serves her divorce papers yeah like, what a nightmare. Also, it turns out Amore Mia is Elisa's best friend slash kind of only friend. So now she doesn't really have any friends. Yeah. So her life's pretty shitty. Um, and then but... we don't even know at this point, like, the shittiest thing about Elisa's life. Yes. So they go on, Nicholas and Elise go on a couple more dates. And he buys her more expensive presents. 
And do we find out about the worst thing in Elise's life before or after her work party? Um, according hmm. to the order of our notes, it seems like before. Okay. Well, the worst thing that ever happened in Elise's life is that one day in a very, very hot summer, I think like... Like the hottest day. Yeah, in like 2007. The book takes place in 2012. She was getting up and getting ready to go to work and Dan was being useless and not helping her get their daughter ready for school and... For for daycare. And they had just had to change daycares to... um, Because... Their other one was close to Dan's work, so he would have to drop her off because it was more, it was technically more convenient, but Dan was like a fucking bitch about it. So they found one that was sorted by Elisa's work and they had just been changed over like that week. Yeah. So it's like the hottest day of the year. She's going to a new daycare. She's running late and on her way to the daycare, she gets a phone call and I'm sure everyone knows where this is going. Um, She gets a very important work phone call and it completely stresses her out and she goes to work to deal with it and realizes like three hours later that she never dropped Hannah off at daycare and goes down to the car and she's died of heat stroke in the backseat. It's so fucked up. Yeah. It's the only thing in the book that surprised me and I was so surprised that I actually went as I was reading it. I know. Yeah, because I I really was not expecting it to be so heavy and so surprised. Like, I mean, the way... Oh, my God. There's an article. I think it had maybe been in, like, a Best American Essays or something. Um, It's called Fatal Distraction by um, Gene Weingarten. Let me double-check that name. Um, But, like, it had haunted me. And it's all about different people who had done that, like, forgotten their babies in in, in the car. And just the way he, Weingarten is his name. I'm correct. We'll link to that. It's like really well done, this article, and really haunting. And if you read it, you will just like never want to transport a baby ever, I think, is the moral of it. I don't know. Uh, and it's, I, I was surprised too, because it did shock me as well. And I thought it was really interesting because it's Elise's fault as much as it's anyone's fault and Mm -hmm. I felt like it was really interesting for a book to tackle their sympathetic protagonist and just throw this out there that she is the reason that her child accidentally died and that as is explained in the book like everyone the media all across the country people she met in the street were like calling her a murderer and telling her that it was all her fault and screaming at her and, and saying making she her should be locked out. in a hot car and left to die. Yeah. And that like I feel like when this happens because unfortunately I do see it pop up in the news a couple times a year, like that's the reaction. Like how could the parent do this? So I thought it was really interesting to have it be from the point of view of a parent who did do it and like how it ruined her life essentially and you know, to kind of explore that aspect of it. I guess I wasn't expecting the protagonist to have something that is so polarizing in her past. There's, yeah, it's a really kind of nuanced thing to have happened in this sort of lightweight Christmas romance novel. Yeah. And I, I kind of, like, liked that. I felt like it it turned it from, like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to read this freaking Christmas book about, you know, Jesus or whatever they're usually about into something like with really kind of interesting nuanced characters. Yeah. I mean, like if you compare this to like the Christmas shoes where it was just like the literally the perfect, the best mom ever who had cancer, like this is 
interesting. Yeah. And I think it was interesting, too, which we'll get to in, like, 2.5 seconds, is that (laughs) after we learn this and after they go on a couple more dates, we're up to Elise's work holiday party, which is just thrown in her boss's house. And everyone goes and they just drink beer and eat grocery store cold cut sandwiches and watch a basketball game. And while they're there, Zoe, the beautiful, perfect, wonderful young girl who she works with, blatantly hits on Nicholas and essentially is like, do you want to kiss me? Like, you should go out with me. If I had met you first, like, would you rather go on a date with me and all this stuff? Call me when you want to upgrade. Yeah. While Elise is in earshot and she goes home and she's just so mad about it. Even though she saw Nicholas was like, "Uh, no, sorry, you're super drunk. And I'm super in a relationship with someone I like. So no. So she's super mad about it, Elise. And the next day at work, Zoe apologizes and starts like crying and freaking out and saying like, I didn't mean to do it. I'm so insecure. Like he just loves you so much. And I go out with all these guys, but none of them care about me. And like, I have nothing in my life like that. And I was jealous and I'm so sorry. Could you ever forgive me? And then she does. She like forgives her and they start to become friendly and almost friends even. Yeah, and, like, um, Elise asks Zoe for help picking out outfits to wear to Nicholas's fancy work things, and they kind of, like, hang out outside of work to go shopping, and I liked it so much, especially because their their dynamic at the beginning was so, like, the kind of cliche that I hate, like, women are jealous, and they don't get along, and everybody hates the pretty girl, and I, I liked it. I fucking like this book. I did too. I was so surprised when that happened and that like they just like become really friendly. And Zoe even says, because Zoe does her makeup and her hair and says, okay, I'm going to do this. But uh, in return, you have to promise me that I get to do your makeup at your wedding. Like they just become super bros. And, you know, Zoe is like really vulnerable to her and tells her more about her life and... It, it was, I was not expecting that to happen. Like, it gave so much more depth to this character that I won't, would oh, never I have expected know. to happen. Yeah, you didn't like this book, <laughs> Caitlin. Just, tell, tell us I didn't. what, it was, tell us. It was just, it was like, oh no, they're enemies. Now they're frenemies. Now they're besties. It was, I just thought it was too easy and too simple that they went from just being, you know, years of, of squabble buddies to like just best friends and makeup and you're perfect. No, I love you. No, I love you. It was just so easy. And that's just not how it goes. Yeah. I, I mean, know. this is a, it's, let's be fair. It's a 250 page Christmas <laughs> romance novel. So if you're going to compare it to like, like an actually complex book about female friendship, it doesn't hold up. But compared to like the low bar, I, I mean, that I had, I I did not expect much of this book, basically. Uh, and it definitely is above what I was expecting. Yeah. By a lot. Like, it's a lot better than what I was expecting. It's a lot better than the fucking Christmas shoes. Yeah. And Everything obviously better, is better than, the Christmas, than the Christmas shoes. <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean, like, Christmas sweater is, like, different garbage like in a whole different way. But Christmas shoes was, like, sort of pleasant, sort of, like, whatever. Um, but this is a lot more nuanced than Christmas shoes. Yeah. Which is not necessarily very nuanced, but... It was more than I was expecting. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, So let's buzz through the rest of this plot and then talk a little bit more about why we liked it and why Caitlin didn't. (laughs) 
Um, Spoiler, it's because we're dead inside. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Zoe helps her pick out all these clothes. She has a friend who works at Nordstrom who, like, lets her borrow fancy clothes. So she borrows a bunch of clothes for Elise to wear to Nicholas's big work parties. Um, And they're, they're, like, very fancy, like, the fanciest French restaurant that she had only been to, Elise had been to once for a wedding, and... You know, it's glamorous and beautiful. And then the party for only the partners of the law firm is at the founder's house. And it's this giant, gorgeous house. And everyone there is so nice to her. And the food is so good. And she has such a great time. And everything is so great. And she feels like she's starting to have feelings for Nicholas, which, of course, you know, we all knew was coming. It's against the rules of the promise contract, though. Yeah. No feelings allowed. And uh, one of the things that he had brought up, two things that he had brought up at the beginning were, one, that there were a couple days that he needed to himself to do something um, that he didn't need her for, but that he was going to be away for a little while. Mm -hmm. And two, that there was a trip to New York that he was taking the week before Christmas and that she was welcome to come with him and he would pay for her airfare and her hotel room and like all of her meals and and shopping and stuff if she decided to come. So the first day, the first weekend comes by where he's got something blocked off on his calendar and he's really cagey with her and like distant and kind of snappish. And when he realizes that he's being snappish, he apologizes and just is like, oh, I'm going through some stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then on Monday, he's back to normal, and she decides to go with him to New York, because when she tells Zoe and Kathy, the other girl in her office, that she's not sure she wants to go, they're both like, are you fucking crazy? Go to New York at Christmas time. When else are you going to get a chance to do this? Go. So she does. Right. And of course, they don't know what Elise knows, which is that it's a fake relationship, and that she's partly feeling like, oh, I have these feelings, but he doesn't. Spoiler, he does. But she doesn't know that because romance novel. So they don't know the full story of it. But she's still like, that's true. Like, when am I going to get a chance to go to New York? And she goes. Yeah. And it's, like, super fancy. They fly first class. They stay at a fancy hotel. They eat at 900 different restaurants that he describes in detail and describes all the food in detail. And like I said before, I'm here for it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They go see the Rockettes. Uh, they go fancy store shopping. Yeah, they go to Rockefeller Center and see the Christmas tree. And before they go to Rockefeller Center, he had had her run an errand for him. And she had picked up something for him from Tiffany's. And while she was there, she bought him at a different shop a super fancy pen, which like cost basically her entire life savings. And which, which is was only $500. Like $500. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, she's fair, a poor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am there. What am I talking about? <laughs> I am there. Um, so at the fancy dinner before they go to Rockefeller Center, surprise, the thing from Tiffany's was for her. And it's a beautiful necklace. And it's the nicest thing she's ever owned. And she gives him the pen. And he's really moved because he knows that she doesn't have that much money. And, like, he's just touched that she would want to do this. And they kiss at Rockefeller Center. They're like both, they super have feelings for each other and they're kissing and they're so happy. And then they go back to the hotel and they go to their separate rooms. And Elise 
freaks out because she realizes that he doesn't know that she murdered her child and that once he does, he won't want to be with her anymore. Oh, I think before this, there was something where Dan, her ex-husband, came over and was like, oh, you got a new man now? Like, he's not gonna, he's not gonna love you when he, like, finds out who you really are. And then he has been, like, calling, I have lost the timeline, but he has sort of been threatening her. Oh, and his, uh, Elise's ex-best friend has broken up with Dan, so he's alone again, or he's single again. He wanted Elise back, and she's like, no, I'm with Nicholas, and then... So there's sort of been this little aura of it as well, where she's like, oh, I should probably tell him because I guess he's going to find out. Meh. Well, and then uh, the ex-husband is saying, you know, like, oh, I, I, I looked him up. I found something out about him. You don't know. You need to know the truth. And she's like, no, forget it, and hangs up on him. And so she, there's, you know, she thinks that it's just the ex-husband being a horrible person trying to get her back, but it's really this big foreshadowing moment. Right, right, right. And there's also been some foreshadowing, like, she has said a couple times, like, oh, you don't, you, there's things about me you don't know. And he's like, I wouldn't be so sure. And things like that, like hints that he's dropped. Mm-hmm. And she, when, when does the, the ball drop that she figures out? Oh, yeah. So she tells him that, you know, you don't know this thing about me. And he goes, oh, is it about Hannah? And she's like, what and it turns out that he was the prosecutor in the case against her and he was one of the ones who decided whether or not to try her and he decided not to try her because he could tell immediately that it was an accident but she was so grief-stricken and shocked that she did not remember and and this was previous in the previous flashback about hannah she had said you know she was shocked and grief-stricken and she doesn't remember what happened during the next couple weeks so they had met before and she had no recollection of it and he had recognized her when he saw her again mm-hmm. and this is a huge betrayal to her she can't believe that he would know this about her and not tell her and keep it from her and she freaks out and like kicks him out of her room and stops taking his calls and flies back to Utah without him. And he basically tells her like, go home, think about it. Think if you can ever forgive me for this, you know, I'm going to give you some space so that you can try to figure out what you feel without me being there. And, you know, I still love you. And if you want to talk to me, you know where to find me. Yeah, basically just kind of like the ideal understanding response. Because he is the perfect human being. Yes. Except for his one fatal flaw, which, which is... is literally fatal. <laughs> oh. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Because <laughs> you see the reason that Nicholas feels so much empathy for Elise is that he has also accidentally killed children. <laughs> Actually, I think only one child and two adults. Yes. Uh, he, When he was 16, he never drank at all, but his friends convinced him to go to a party and drink because he had just broken up with his girlfriend, and they were like, just have fun, just forget her. So he gets drunk, and the one time he drunk drives, he accidentally kills a family, except the youngest child survives. But he kills, like, the older child and the parents, and he has to go to, like, juvie for a while, and it was, you know, the worst thing he's ever done, and so he never drinks. I mean, it would be the worst thing basically anybody would do. 
I guess. Yes. It's pretty bad. It's, yeah. like, pretty bad. Uh. <laughs> uh, it, like, breaks up his family. His parents divorce. His mother blames herself. She they, His family was devout Mormons, which is why he had never drank before. Um, and she thinks this is God punishing her for being a bad mother, and she gets addicted to pain pills, and his father divorces her, and his siblings won't talk to him, and when he gets out of juvie, like, people are waiting for him, shouting murderer in his face, um, because he was tried as a, an adolescent, the judge decided, I mean, uh, even though he, he was, was 16. 16. No, that's yeah. right. Well, yeah, but a lot of times, if you're, like, a late teenager, and you do something really bad, they will try you as an adult. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess a lot of people were, I would imagine. Yes. Um, So he was tried as an adolescent, so he gets out when he's 18 and decides to become a lawyer and focus on school so that he can, I guess, like, give back via philanthropy and, you know, give back to the legal system, which was so kind to him when he made one fuck-up mistake as a teenager, which, granted, did murder three people (laughs) Um, and make one young girl an orphan. So... So not great. Yeah. So Elise finds out about this because Dan is essentially stalking her and waiting at her apartment with a printout of the article about this. Yeah. Everybody in this fucking book prints out hard copies of things. Like, you can just forward that to Elise's email. No? Okay. Her her inbox is just totally full of chain letters from Nicholas. So he he cannot be received. (laughs) Elise, I found this funny joke at www.funnyknockknockjokes.com. Print it out. Save it for later. <laughs> this is my Richard Paul Evans fan fiction. <laughs> Nicholas's emails to Elise. <laughs> I actually kind of want you to write that because I'm really fucked up. <laughs> I'm so dead inside. <laughs> Hashtag why we're friends. <laughs> so fucking there you get married the end (laughs) they've both killed a child and they are perfect for each other they get married in italy uh dan's sister surprises him by coming to the wedding and they reconcile and then elise gets pregnant and quits her job the end yeah yeah Oh, and the the one uh, child that he orphaned when he killed the family, you know, sees him one day when he's visiting the graveside and forgives him and says it's all okay. Right. She understands that was just a mistake because she's like she's about 16 at that point. So she's like, oh, you're my age. Like, I, you know, kids are dumb. Like, whatever. I forget. Yeah. And that that's what actually makes him ask her out in the first place. At least that is not the 16 year old child. (laughs) (laughs) But because up to that point, he had felt like he couldn't be forgiven and he wasn't worthy of love. And she essentially was like, I forgive you, move on with your life. Um, So he decides when he sees Elise and he recognizes her and he knows that she too has murdered a child and feels bad about it. (laughs) He decides that he's going to ask her out, but he's too chicken shit to do it. So he comes up with this like, oh, let's let's fake pretend date for two months. And, uh, you know, like just as bros. Without any other intentions, we're just going to bro date. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so he wants JK, Elise to forgive it. herself. I'm, I'm like, choked up. Fuck. Like, this is so cliche, <laughs> but also, it's kind of beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was so much more nuanced 
than I, I mean, I guess I expect, I guess when I'm reading a book, like this sort of book about around Christmas time with these like fucking beveled edges and, you know, tiny lot, green yeah. card size. Red foil yeah. cover. Yeah. I'm expecting it to be like, you know, and then a poor child reminded me like what the true meaning of Christmas is. And it's Jesus. And... Yes, totally. I There's not. And especially since like he lives in Salt Lake City, says so, like he's probably Mormon. I think he probably actually is Mormon, but not not. I think he is. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. This wasn't a Jesus book. It was just about like the power of forgiveness and being able to forgive yourself. And I was like, that's. Like, not what I was expecting. I think that is nice. It's really nice. Especially because, too, like like I was saying before, the fact that they take these two people who have done, like, one of the worst things that our society punishes you for. Like, they have killed children. Accidentally. But yeah, they accidentally Literally, they children. have killed children. <laughs> yes. And... That it's about, like, yes, like, you feel awful and it's with you and it's over you, but you can't let it ruin your life. Like, even you can be forgiven, but first you need to let that go inside of yourself in order to move on. Or, or what good are you? And I, I just wasn't expecting that. Oh, I get it a little bit now. <laughs> Crap! Ah, you like it! I don't like it! I don't like it! <laughs> I just don't hate it as much. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we've spent enough, I guess, telling you about how good it is. Why don't you tell us how, bring us back down to earth. Tell us the bad shit. I don't know. It's just this, from the very beginning, the setup was so clear. When he was like, I have a contract. Let's not fall in love. You're like, all right, they're going to fall in love. Yeah. That's all it is. I guess it was just, it was nice and it was okay, but it's exactly what you expected from the first paragraph. No, it's you expected them both to have killed children. <laughs> no, you did not. No, okay. The, the child death surprised me. But, you know, I, I like I watch a lot of crappy Korean dramas and there are so many tropes in them that I love, like an angry mother-in-law who tells you to go away and either tries to like scare you off and send you abroad or pay you off. You know, and I just I wish maybe this book had a little bit more of that, a little Something besides child murder that was pulling them apart. <laughs> you know, everybody was the whole time just pushing them together in a nice, lovely way. And I wanted them to overcome something together besides forgiveness. Besides child murder. Yeah. All right. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, legit, though, Renata and I are pretty <laughs> fucked up by this point. We've been doing podcasts for over a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some shit. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. You've read some bad, bad things. Yep, we have. Uh, let's read this aloud now. <laughs> let's do our dramatic readings. All right. So you can hear how fucking beautiful this book is. <laughs> See if you can guess what comes next. <laughs> um, the first dramatic reading we will do for you is The Mistletoe Contract, a.k.a. Promise. And Caitlin will be the voice of the contract itself. Caitlin, Kate with a K uh, is Elise, and I will be Nicholas. Mistletoe contract. Why mistletoe? You know how at Christmas time people show affection under mistletoe to people they're not necessarily affectionate with? That's clever. Can we change the word contract? It sounds too formal. What would you prefer? How about promise? Done. The Mistletoe Promise. 
Mistletoe contract crossed out. Promise. This service agreement is made effective as of November 6th by and between Elise Dutton, Lesser, and Nicholas Durr, Lessie. How did you know my last name? I'm a lawyer, he said, which really didn't answer my question. Number one, description of services. Lesser will exert due effort to provide to Lessie the following services, collectively the services. A, lunch together each weekday as individual schedules permit. B, at least one evening activity per week through duration of contract. C, best effort to demonstrate a caring relationship. I couldn't help but think how every relationship would benefit from such an agreement. Two, payment. In, in consideration of Lesser's services, Lessie agrees to pay for all dinners, joint activities, admission fees, travel expenses, etc. for the duration of contract. Travel expenses? Gas money, mostly. If Lessie fails to pay for the services when due, Lesser has the option to treat such as failure to pay such failure to pay as the material breach of this contract and may cancel this contract but not seek legal re redress. Three, term. This agreement will terminate automatically on December 24th, 2012 at 11.59.59 p.m. Four, language. Lesser and lessee shall, for the duration of this agreement, refer to each other as boyfriend or girlfriend or by any term of endearment including, but not limited to, sweetie, sweetheart, love, dear, babe, Beautiful, cupcake, and any term found acceptable by both parties. Really? Cupcake? I wasn't planning on using cupcake. Then why did you put it in the contract? In case you were. It's just an example. Granted, a poor one. But I don't know your preferences. I would rather not be called after any food or animal. Actually, avoid any noun. Consider all nouns, especially cupcake, stricken from my vocabulary. Does that include honey? I guess honey is okay. It's gone mainstream. Honey. Okay. Five. Platonic nature of agreement. This agreement does not constitute, imply, or encourage directly or indirectly a physical relationship other than what would be considered expected and appropriate public physical contact. What does that mean? Expected physical contact. Nothing exciting. Hand holding in public, that sort of thing. Things real couples do. For instance, we might hold hands at a company party, at least when walking into the party, but we wouldn't be holding hands when we are alone, since that obviously wouldn't be necessary to convince others. I get it. 6. Confidentiality. Lesser and her agents will not at any time, or in any manner, directly or indirectly, divulge, disclose, or communicate in any manner any information that is proprietary to this agreement, and agrees to protect such information and treat it as strictly confidential. This provision will continue to be effective until the termination of this contract. 7. Breach of contract. If any of the above stipulations are not met, contract will be considered null and void. No recourse is available. Addendums. 1. No deep, probing, personal questions. 2. No drama. Yeah. So, I don't, I mean, I, it's, it's cute. I like it. I don't know what to <laughs> tell you. <laughs> I, of all the, the relationship paperwork books that we've read so far, <laughs> this is the one I've liked the most. Yeah. All right. Our I don't know. It was very pretty woman. Is, is very what? Pretty woman. In a way. I, I, just all the lesser and lessee just made me feel all squicky inside. But pr it's so different, though. I mean, pretty woman. Like, she is a prostitute. Like... <laughs> Elise is just getting some flowers at work. Like, she has a job. It's not like if she fucks it up with Nicholas, she'll be a destitute streetwalker. She'll just be sad. Err. Er. <laughs> <laughs>
right. Our second dramatic reading is a flashback to when Elise and her skeezy ex-husband Dan uh, finally broke up. So I will be reading the part of Elise. Renata will be reading the part of Dan. And Caitlin will be reading the part of Ketty, the nurse. I was pronouncing it Katie in my head. I thought it was just a real weird spelling of Katie. <gasps> it is. It's another awful spelling of okay. Kate, well, Katie or Caitlin. <laughs> because why not? Why not add to the confusion? Yes. Just ruin our name further. <laughs> there were more. Many more. I couldn't read them because my eyes were filled with tears. Honey? I looked up at her. My husband is cheating on me. I'm sorry. Hi, babe. I forgot my phone. I looked at him, shaking, unable to speak. Why are you crying? Is she in pain? I would think so. Can you get her something for it? Not for this pain. He looked at her quizzically, then back over at me. Honey? Who is she? I'll check on your antibiotic. Who? Who is Amore Mia? I don't know what you're talking about. I held up his phone. Who is Amore Mia? Elise. If you have something to tell me, tell me now. It's nothing. She's nothing. I read the text. Don't lie to me. Okay, so you caught me. I'm having an affair. Who is she? Do I know her? Kayla. The only Kayla I knew was my best and only friend, and the thought that she would cheat with her hus- with my husband was so far beyond possibility that I couldn't process it. Kayla who? Kayla. My Kayla? Yeah. My pain doubled. When I could speak, I asked, how long has this been going on? I don't know. How long? A while. I broke down crying again. He stepped forward and put his hand on my arm. Elise. Don't touch me. Elise. Go away. Go to your amore. I'm not leaving. Get out of here. Just then, Katie walked back into the room. She must have heard our conversation because she looked angry. You need to leave. She's my wife. I don't need to go anywhere. She's my patient and this is my house. And if she wants you to leave, you leave. Or should I call security? It's your fault, Elise. You're the one who ruined our lives. You have no one to blame but yourself. He turned and walked away. Two days later, I was still in the hospital when Dan filed for divorce. Fucking Dan. I mean, what the fuck? What the fuck? All right. And the last reading we've got for you guys is between Elise and Nicholas. It's toward the very end when Elise has found out about the child that Nicholas killed. (laughs) 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 And we'll repeat our roles. I'll be Nicholas and Kate will be Elise. I'd like to explain what happened. You don't have to. I want to. I was barely 16 years old. I was a sophomore in high school. You know how teenagers are, all drama and hormones. I was depressed and had pretty much taken to my bed, just listening to music all night. A friend of mine came over to cheer me up. He talked me into going to a party some seniors were having up in the canyons. They had a keg. Everyone was drunk or getting there. I resisted at first. My parents were Mormon, so we didn't have alcohol in our house. I had never even drunk alcohol before. But between the peer pressure and my depression and my friend nagging, I gave in. It was the worst mistake of my life. 
It didn't take much to get me drunk. I had maybe three beers. My friend was completely wasted, so I took his keys and drove us home. We were coming down Parley's Canyon onto 21st South. I was driving fast, close to 60 miles per hour, when I reached Sugar House Park. Wrong place, wrong time. There was a young family leaving the park. They were in the crosswalk. A mom, a dad, a three- and a one-year-old in a double stroller. It was dark, and I was driving so fast, I don't know if I would have seen them anyway, but I hit them. The father saw me just before. He tried to push the stroller out of the way. He was killed instantly. I hit him and his wife and clipped the stroller, then rolled the car into a telephone pole. The mother was thrown more than 80 feet, but somehow she was still alive when the ambulance arrived. I climbed out of the car and walked around the scene like I was in a nightmare, listening to the mother scream for her children. When I have nightmares, that's what I hear. That mother screams. The three-year-old lived. Her name is Olivia. She's 17 now. I let the story settle over me. When I could speak, I asked, have you met her? A year ago. I've taken flowers to the grave every year on the anniversary of their deaths. December 7th. That's where you were. Last year, I was in the cemetery, just kneeling there, praying for forgiveness, like I always do. When I stood, there was a teenage girl behind me. I hadn't heard her come up. She just looked at me for a moment, and then she said, It's you, isn't it? I said, I'm so sorry. She looked at me for a moment, and then she did something I'll never forget. She said, I forgive you. The power of those words. I fell back to my knees and wept. Olivia was almost the same age I was when I took her parents and sister from her. I don't know how she did it, but she knelt down next to me. She said, you were just a kid like me. Sometimes we do dumb things. Sometimes there are consequences. Nicholas shook his head. I don't know how she found the strength to say that to the man who had killed her parents. I can't make fun of that. Because I'm not a monster! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's heavy. (laughs) Like, I feel like it's sort of just right on the edge of melodramatic, but it's not... Is it? It's not, right? I, it's like... I, I mean, I don't I don't think so, because I think it's subtle enough that it is. Like, as subtle as it can be a man murdering a child and its parents in a drunken car crash. But, like, it's not... I feel like it's not necessarily overwritten. Yeah. Although, no, I yeah, will say, this is... That. This is the first time I wondered why was the family leaving the park in, like, the middle of the night? Was it definitely in the middle of the night, though? Or was it just, you know, they were freshmen and they whisked out early and went home? It was dark. It was was so dark that he couldn't see them. So maybe not the middle of the night, but... Maybe it was, like, winter and the sun didn't down early and it was just, like, 6 o'clock or something. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I thought was interesting was, um, like Caitlin said, and like you, Renata, said as well, that with him not drinking and everything and she asks him Elise asks him a few times like oh like why aren't you married why don't you have kids and he gives vague answers 
I was 100% sure that his tragic backstory was going to be like, I was an alcoholic and I drove my wife away from me or something like that. I was absolutely not expecting I killed a child. Right. I killed a family. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I knew he had tragic past. I was not expecting that tragic past. Nope. All right. Well, those that's our dramatic readings. So we'll move on to Would You Rather. Um, first, I'll start off with the battle of two rich men with tragic pasts. Would you rather enter into a contract with Christian Grey or Nicholas Durr or Dare? Definitely Nicholas. I would absolutely like everything about that contract, as I said before, sounds great. Like be friends with a guy and he buys me presents and takes me to fancy places like I'm in. Yeah, I mean, I think I am as well. Like... Like we talked about in our Fifty Shades episode, like, the sex with Christian Grey sounded pretty good, but he's got too much, like, fucked up stuff going on. Like, I would much rather take Nicholas and all like, of his gifts. Nicholas at least sounds like he's dealing with his shit, whereas Christian just uses it to prove how brooding and awful he is. Uh, yeah. And his I don't think his therapist is even licensed, <laughs> as we've discussed. Yeah. I definitely pick Nicholas, if only because he eats delicious, amazing things. Oh my god, he sure does. Speaking of, <laughs> would you rather eat a sweet pork salad or a mincemeat pie? Which we did not actually talk about the mincemeat pies, but there was a plot point about them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said before, I've eaten a salad that is very similar to the sweet pork salad, and I love it, so definitely that for me. I mean, I googled a mincemeat pie because I've never had one. Uh, and looking at the Alton Brown um, version of it, I was like, this is weird. I don't know how I feel. Salad? Okay, salad. I pick salad. This is tough for me because I'm a vegetarian, but I guess I would take this sweet pork salad and just order it like without the pork. So just like a, <laughs> a sweet salad, please. <laughs> and last up, the most fucked up would you rather I think we've had to date. <laughs> would you rather... Leave your baby in a hot car or drunkenly kill three people. <laughs> See, I thought it'd be easy because usually, you know, baby in a hot car, a lot of suffering, drunkenly kill three people, that's a lot faster. But just with that dramatic reading, it reminded me that the mother suffered. It did. So now and it's it, a real question. I mean, and it's three times as many people. And you're still, either way, you're killing a baby. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like. I feel like I'm very selfish, and if the baby was mine, I would be more upset. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah, this one's too real. <laughs> I know. And also, leaving my baby, like, then that assumes that I have a baby, which, as previously discussed, I do not want a baby. Not that I want to, to murder a baby, <laughs> but I just would rather not have one. Although, if I did have one and accidentally killed it, I'm sure I would still be devastated about the situation. And I, I mean, I think, too, if I drunkenly killed three people, if I was, like, 16 when it happened, I mean, not to say that I would get over killing three people, but, you know, like, like Nicholas, like, with time and forgiveness and all that. Yeah, um, it's, like, you would definitely be fucked up either way. Um, but yeah, uh -huh. with the strangers, it's not like you would, like, you wouldn't miss them. Like, you'd regret having killed them, but you wouldn't be like, God, I wish that stranger baby was here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Yeah. Uh, this sucks. I hope uh, none of this happens to any of us, but I, I'll, I'll take the DUI, I guess. Yeah, I think I'm going that way, too. Yeah. Because as, yeah, as much as I laughed, you know, you wouldn't miss the strangers as a big... That Yeah, that does Although, make... I mean, he killed strangers, I guess... If it and like imagine it was people you oh god you know we've talked about this enough it's yeah. too sad we we'll move on to our reader's advisory um you know if you are really looking for something about the power of forgiveness I would of course recommend the Broadway musical Hamilton yes absolutely uh, it's it's real quiet uptown <laughs> <laughs> for Nicholas and Elise after uh. their murders. <laughs> I, I do cry more at Hamilton than I cried at this book, but that's... Oh my god, I mean, Kate, after Nicholas killed that family, do you think the baby went to the orphanage? The orphanage. <laughs> do you she think that's where it. she went? I think it's probably where she went. Can you imagine? <laughs> if you haven't listened to Hamilton yet, I'm real sorry. <laughs> For... All of your life choices. Yes. Uh, the orphan lived another 50 years. <laughs> uh, anyway, I feel like in a weird way, the book that this reminded me of most was, in fact, Fifty Shades of Grey. Because there is a lot that's just about, like, this contract and this, like, rich, powerful man teaching this, like, beautiful, sad lady that she is, like, worthy of having nice things and getting compliments and in Fifty Shades, having good sex. Uh, Fifty Shades is much worse than this on every level. But if you were looking for that kind of, like, rich lifestyle porn, which is a really good chunk of what this book is about. It's just like, here's the fancy restaurant we went to. Here's the scarf I bought you. It costs $600. And then I, I think there are a lot of other romance novels, just like billionaire romance novels is um, a genre. So maybe you're into that. Yeah, and we did um, cover a lot of those when we did the Billionaire's Blackmailed Mistress or whatever that book was called. The Greek Tycoon's Blackmailed Mistress. Yes, yes, that's what it was. How dare you. So check that out. For a more lighthearted Christmas fake dating take, um, there's a movie. Um, so Becca and I like to watch bad movies and we like to watch bad Christmas movies. Um, there's a terrible ABC Family Christmas movie called Holiday in Handcuffs, where Melissa Joan Hart, her boyfriend breaks up with her at the last minute, and she needs a boyfriend to bring to her family's yearly Christmas gathering in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. So she, like, accosts Mario Lopez and forces him to come with her by, like, literally handcuffing him to her and making him pretend that he's her boyfriend. And... It's no no one murders children. The grandmother character is really great, much like the grandmother character in this book, actually. So, yeah, I'd recommend that. It's usually streaming on Netflix this time of year. Um, it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to promote RuPaul's Drag Race, which is, of course, the greatest show of all time. But RuPaul has recently released a Christmas album called Slay Bells, which is S-L-A-Y Bells. Um, if you just want something related to Christmas, that's awesome get that or watch arthur christmas which remains awesome and has nothing to do with this book aside from being about christmas but it is the greatest one of the greatest movies ever so watch it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you want to stick with a richard paul evans book um the christmas box collection which is actually a series of three of his books 
the Christmas box, the timepiece, and a letter. I actually recommend that one wholeheartedly over this one, uh, if only because there are three stories in there, so it doesn't end in about 25 minutes. And if you like the fake dating trope, uh, as usual, we would recommend fan fiction. That is a very popular trope, and you can even sort by that tag on Archive of Our Own. And there's an episode of The X-Files where Mulder and Scully pretend that they're dating. They pretend that they're married, and I love it, and it's great, and it has nothing else to do with this, but you should watch it. Basically, if you want some more fake dating, uh, contact Kate directly. She'll hook yes. you up. Um, oh, uh, talking about accidentally murdering a baby just really reminded me of a short <laughs> story. And Laurie, Laurie Moore has a short story collection called Birds of America, which is amazing. And there's one in it that has haunted me for literally years. I don't remember the title of it, but it's in that collection. It's about a woman who accidentally trips while carrying a baby and kills the baby. And it's so haunting and amazing. So read that if you want to be sad about a dead baby, I guess. Which maybe you do. All right. Well, we'll have this and some other things that are vaguely tangentially related to this book up at worstbestsellers.com on the reader's advisory for this episode. And now we will move on to our candy pairing, where we will recommend a candy to go with this book. And I'll start, I'll recommend Kettle Corn, which uh, Nicholas buys for Elise at some point, and they eat it. And um, to me, Kettle Corn is something that if you described it, I think the first time I remember hearing about Kettle Corn, I was like, that kind of sounds gross. Like, I don't, I'm not always necessarily on board with the sweet and salty combination, but it turns out I actually love Kettle Corn. And uh, I love this book. Bye. <laughs> um, I would recommend peppermint bark, which is something that I love to eat around Christmas time, but I can't eat a ton of it. And the rest of the year, I generally think that it sounds terrible, but then Christmas comes along and I'm like, oh, I guess I'll try another piece of this and it's delicious. So, yes. Uh, I'm going to have to recommend Necco wafers because you look at them and you're like, wow, they're different colors. It's going to be delicious. It's like Smarties. And then you eat them and they're not good. And you are like, why did I start this? Is the package done? Okay, it's over. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I tried, guys. <laughs> I it is just. I mean, I think it is good to have your perspective because I think otherwise this would be an hour of me and Kate being like, this book was great. And then people <laughs> might read it and be like, this book was mediocre. What the fuck? And we're like, oh, yeah, that's actually what we mean by great now. Sorry. Yeah. We're dead but inside. I think it, it wasn't mediocre. It was like better. It was like pretty good, right? I don't trust my opinions I, at all anymore. I, you guys have way too many books that you shouldn't have. <laughs> I still read good things, though, sometimes. But now I I don't know I I think I think we're ruined I think that I don't know <laughs> I liked it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we also we recorded these we our recording schedule is a little scrunched up to try to get things out of the way before the holidays actually so we read this very shortly on the heels of purity which could yeah. also be influencing things a little bit. True. Whatever. I'm I'm done defending my opinions. Just I, actually, I might have liked it if it was more Christmas season. You know, if I had some Christmas carols going on, if I had a Christmas tree up, I might be into it a little bit more. Hmm. Okay. But so did you did you actually read the Christmas box and like it or were you just recommending that it exists? I read it a very long time ago, so I was probably sixteen or seventeen okay. and I, I remember enjoying it, but I don't remember why. 
Okay, fair. And it could be that, you know, I know more about life and love and all that blobby blue that has me being all pessimistic and angry now. Fair. Well, that's candy. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's Caitlin's sadness and this, candy. <laughs> this has been candy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to our favorite game, The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if you were in this book. And Caitlin will choose which most enhances the book or chooses paper, which would be to leave it as is. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> so if The Rock were in this book, he'd probably not interfere much, mostly because I really like this book. But maybe he'd be like a friend of Nicholas's who Nicholas confided about his scheme to. And when it became clear that Elise and Nicholas were super into each other, he kind of helped them come clean with each other about their, you know, child murders before they could have a big blow up fight about it. So it would just, you know, smooth things over along the way. If Wolverine were in this book, he would eat a sweet pork salad using his claws as utensils. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) I could think of nothing more that would improve upon this book. (laughs) I'm going to have to go with the rock. I think, okay, you know, but I hang think on. He... Are you imagining how hilarious it would be to see him eating a salad on his claws in the Utah Mall food court? <laughs> I have to admit, more specifically, I'm imagining The Rock recording an Instagram video from the Iron Paradise where he tells all of his followers about how he helped hook his friends up in this great and wonderful way. And that's amazing. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the moral of the story. My moral of the story is sometimes relationship paperwork actually works out pretty well. Mine is even if you accidentally kill one or more people, you are still deserving of love and fancy Christmas presents. (laughs) And mine is the angry one, which is rich lawyers will give you lots of gifts if you accidentally murder a child. Also, salad. (laughs) Not just any salad. Sweet pork salad. Sweet pork salad. I feel like I have to eat it at this point just to, like, experience it. Um, I did, when I Googled it, because I was like, what the fuck, I found several copycat recipes from this actual restaurant, Cafe Rio. So we'll link to those. So if anybody wants to try making a sweet pork salad <laughs> and eat it with your claws, let me know how it goes or whatever. And if you do, like, definitely Instagram that shit and uh, send it to us. Yeah, we'll retweet it or regram it social yeah. media I don't actually have Instagram but you know tweet it at worst bestseller wait real talk you don't follow Dwayne the Rock Johnson on Instagram because you're missing out on amazing things <laughs> well he tweets links to all of his Instagram also, so I just... also I email her like all of his Instagram posts <laughs> like every day and it's always subject line important and then it's Dwayne the Rock Johnson's Instagram <laughs> so she's fine okay <laughs> I start my day with him. He like works out at 3.30 in the morning. So he's the first tweet I, or Instagram I see when I wake up. And it's like, the world is safe. <laughs> Let's move on now to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will provide his opinions on the book. All right, Duarte, I get it. He understands me. (laughs) 
he does, but you know that doesn't mean that you guys are right. <laughs> I I do I do agree with Duarte. I'm glad that there were no cats harmed in this book. It would have been super sad if Elise had accidentally forgotten a cat inside her car. Oh my god. Yeah. Don't or leave if, pets. Uh, don't Nicholas leave pets in the car. Run a cat over. Oh my god. Yeah. So that tragedy was averted. Only humans were killed. <laughs> Thank God. All right. So now, uh, do any humans have any closing thoughts about this book? Besides that it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, so I, I read it between, between purity and reading this, I read like another 200 pages of Ron Chernow's Alexander Hamilton bio, which I'm super into. So I can't even blame like hating purity so much on liking this book so much because I was reading really interesting things about fiscal policy. So yeah, I just am dead inside and I loved this book. This book us back to life like an Evanescence video. All right. Well, I have exciting news to announce, which is that, uh, Kate and I are having a mistletoe contest for all of our best listeners. We decided we would, we took the spirit of this book to heart and it is the season to give people you love expensive gifts and introduce them to exciting new cultural events. And so we thought that the best way to do that would be for us to encourage you to give all of your loved ones the greatest gift of all, which is the knowledge of our podcast. <laughs> so to enter our contest, all you have to do is tell somebody about our podcast, which you can do. Um, you can do it by Twitter. You can do it on Facebook. You can do it in real life and then just email us to tell us how it went. Uh, maybe, like, include an emoticon of what their face looked like when you describe this podcast to them. Or, like, take a picture of them, giving a thumbs up, being like, yeah, we're bestsellers. Or just, like, a confused face, like, what? Yes. We'll take any of that. Um, so if you if you tell them, if you tell people about it by Twitter and your Twitter is public, just include our Twitter handle in it, which is at worst bestseller, and we'll see that and count it as an entry. If your Twitter is locked or you're doing it on other social media or whatever, email it to us at worstbestsellers at gmail.com. Yeah, just take a screenshot of it. And for each way that you tell people about us, you get one entry in the contest. So you can tweet, tumble, Facebook, and tell someone in person. And that would be four entries. Mm -hmm. We're not... You know, you, you can say whatever you want. Like, if you just want to tweet at one direct person and say, hey, I know that you really like Christopher Pike, maybe check out this one episode. Great. If you want to, like, more broadly do something about it, also great. Whatever. It's it's one entry. And then we will put all of the names of people who submit into this website, randompicker.com, to pick our three winners. And we will do that at midnight on Sunday, December 20th. So that will be um, two weeks from the day this episode comes out, which is December 7th. And here is what you are trying desperately to win by telling people about our podcast. Third prize is a very used copy of Whisper of Death by Christopher Pike and one of the candies that was a candy pairing for that book. And we're going to, when when we have our winners, we'll contact them to just 
find out if they have allergies or whatever. So we don't want to say like, oh, and you'll win candy canes. And then the person's like, I'm allergic to peppermint. Fuck you. So you'll get a candy pairing and we'll work with you because we want you to like kind of like this prize. Um, so second prize would be a used copy of Black Hills by Nora Roberts, which is probably both of our legit favorite books that we've read for this and a candy pairing yes. for that as well. And first prize is a copy of this book, The Mistletoe Promise by Richard Paul Evans, and a candy from that we recommended as well. And the copy of The Mistletoe Promise is signed by the author and personalized to Duarte. Yeah, so we're actually taking Duarte's copy away and giving it to you. Um, He's That's... fine with it, though, because as you heard, he did not really like this book. So this, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, we'll post pictures this is legit signed by Richard Paul Evans. He happened to be the guest at the library conference I went to this week. And I I did it. I had him sign a book to give away on my podcast. She <laughs> tweeted and asked if she should do it. And I am a peer pressurer. So I immediately said, yes, I will mail you a check for half the cost. Yep. Um, that's legal Magic. fine print or whatever. These books are all paid for by me and Kate. They were not sponsored by a publisher or anything. Just just our love of you guys for listening to our podcast. Yes. Um, also, I want to be clear. Some people were like, oh my god, did you tell Richard Paul Evans you're reading his book for the Worst Bestsellers podcast? Like, no, my parents raised me right. Like, I was polite <laughs> about it. He was very nice. I was just like, you know how you go through a signing line and you write your name that you want personalized on a post-it note and he was just kind of like, oh... Actually, it was pretty funny. He was like, you know, I think I knew someone named Duarte. He was Swiss. And I was like, oh, my Duarte is Dominican. And he was like, oh, funny. And then he signed it. And I was like, uh, like, thank you. And then I said, because, um, okay, the weird thing to me about Richard Paul Evans is he writes a bunch of these, like, Christmas-type books. But then he also has a teen series called uh, Michael Vay, and it's about a kid with electricity powers, which I actually haven't read, but it's pretty popular. So I was just like, oh, thank you. And, like, just so you know, all my teens really like Michael Vay. Like, they, like, it was, like, a very pleasant interaction, very polite on both ends, super great. And now I've got this book to give away. (laughs) So just some fine print for this is that... You don't need to include your shipping address or anything in your entries, but make sure you have a way for us to contact you, either by an unlocked Twitter or an email, so that we can let you know if you've won. Yeah. Um, one thing, if you mention us on Facebook, that's awesome, but do screen cap it and send it to us, because our Facebook page does this annoying thing where it's like, notification, someone mentioned your podcast, but then we actually cannot see it, I assume because of like privacy settings or whatever, so... Email us or tweet us from a public account are the two for sure ways that we will be able to communicate with you. Facebook's weird. So um, good luck if anybody... This is all kind of like we've never done a giveaway before. So if there's something real obvious that we're forgetting, tweet us or email us, I guess. We'll figure it out. Much like every other aspect (laughs) of this podcast, we're just making it up as we go along. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Happy holidays. Don't kill any babies. But if you if you did and you're sorry about it, you can still win. We forgive you. <laughs> what is happening? I don't know. <laughs> End the episode. It's time. It's time to say goodnight. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for maybe participating in this contest if you would like. Uh, you can we'll have all the rules and stuff posted on our website, worstbestsellers.com. 
We'll also for sure be tweeting about it from at Worst Bestseller with no S and posting about it on our Facebook, which is Worst Bestsellers spelled normally. You can, as always, subscribe to us on Stitcher or iTunes, and please be sure to read and review us because reading and review it, reviewing us pops us up in the charts and makes it easier for other people to find us. And if you don't, we'll probably show up at your house and force you to eat a sweet pork salad. So, you know. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. Tweet me all your sweet pork salad recipes, please. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14 across. And uh, like I said before, take some pictures of those sweet pork salads and send them to us. <laughs> and uh, the next episode that we have up is actually our end of the year wrap up. The best books that we read in 2015 part one, which will be middle grade and young adults. Yay. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for taking a second chance on us. Um, even if you didn't like this book as much as we did, at least it was better than The Christmas Sweater. We can all agree on that. Absolutely. Yes. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Spoiler, it's because we're dead inside.